If you're visiting with us, we have been for a while now in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians, working our way through. We've had a little break now for a couple of different uh, things that interrupted that, but we want to get back into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and I've joked a couple times in the past, this is, a, this is a hard passage. And I have to say right now, ladies, please, if any of you are carrying weapons today, I would ask that you put them away. Remember that I'm only the messenger today. I'm just trying to preach the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now I praise you, brethren. Actually, I'm starting verse 2, sorry. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covered... Her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to you for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Well, let's pray. Father, Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that even when it seems almost impossible for us to understand what it says, Yet, Lord God, it has meaning to us, and I pray today that you'll speak to our hearts. Father, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Lord, I have done my best to read myself full on this and pray myself up and write myself clear, and now all I can do is let myself go and hope today that, Lord, you'll speak. So I pray you would. And I pray, Father, you'd give me a sweet spirit today. I pray no one would take this the wrong way. I pray everybody would would, uh, listen to it as the word of God and receive it properly and just speak. Help us, Father, to be in submission to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, certainly the very first question that comes to mind when we read this passage is, what in the world is he talking about here? And I have been asking that question now for weeks. Brother Jim has been asking that question for a long time, haven't you? He's been wanting to hear this particular message on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What is being described here? Probably if you have a, a heading at the beginning of your Bible that says head coverings on women or something about head coverings. How many of you, the heading at your Bible says something like that? And so that would seem to be what this is talking about. Women are supposed to have something on their head. And you know, interesting, I'm looking around the room this morning and I'm trying to see a, any head coverings on women. I don't, I don't, I don't see any, any women. Wearing head coverings this morning. So, uh, either we don't understand what this means, or we're all in violation of Scripture here. So we need, to, we need to talk about this this morning and dig into this just a little bit. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to look at three different things. Number one, what, what it might be. Let's look at that. And number two, let's look at what it does not mean. Because I think we can narrow the list pretty quick. And number three, let me tell you what I believe it does mean. 
and then we're going to dig just a little bit deeper into that last point. So first of all, what it might mean. If you study this, if you read commentaries, if you've got a study Bible, you've probably got several different interpretations that have been put forth. There's probably quite a few that have been put forth, but there are three primary ones that seem to bubble to the top of the list as to what Paul is talking about here. Some say Paul is talking about a cultural issue. In other words, it is something that was relevant to the Corinthian culture of the day, but has absolutely no relevance to us in 21st century America today. And of course, it's possible. That certainly is possible. There are similar issues existing in many cultures even today. If you go over into Arab cultures today, you'll find the requirement that the women wear burqas. That's much in the news these days. If you go into Amish cultures right now, you'll notice that men have to wear beards. Some of us wouldn't be bothered by that, would we? That's been much in the news today uh, with some of the crimes that have been committed lately. So uh, some say it's a cultural issue. It wouldn't surprise us because there are things like that, right? Another uh, possible interpretation, some people say it is a literal issue. Or we might say an apostolic injunction. The Apostle Paul is speaking as an apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with the authority of an apostle. And he is saying, ladies, thou shalt wear head coverings. And if that is the case, then ladies, he was thinking, well, should be wearing head coverings. Because that's what the Bible says. Some people say it is a literal issue. And some people say it is neither. That Paul's not talking about any of those things. And they go to the portions here where he's talking about the hair length on women and the hair length on men. And they say that what Paul is really describing here as a covering is the natural covering that occurs from a woman's long hair. In other words, whenever you see Paul describing a covering on a woman's head, he's describing her hair. And if that's the case, he would seem to be reminding her that she ought to keep it long. And men ought to keep it short if we go further there with that. I've heard sermons preached on that, haven't you? If you've heard sermons preached from this passage, it says men ought to have short hair. Women ought to have long hair. Usually, for some reason, when I hear these sermons, it's always railing on a man. It's always men ought to have short hair. I, I, I haven't heard too many about women having long hair, and yet that's what the whole thing is about. But people use it for that. But anyway, those are the three possible interpretations that come to the top. Number one, it could be cultural. Number two, it could be literal. Number three, it could be uh, have nothing to do with a, you know a covering as we think it. It could be referring to hair. Well, I think we can narrow that list down pretty quick. That's what it might mean. Let me knock two of them off the list right off the bat. And you might not agree with me on this, but... This is one of those issues that theologians have been arguing about for 2,000 years. So I'm not arrogant enough to believe I'm going to solve it here this morning. But give me a, give me a chance here. I, I, think, I think I'm close. Let me tell you what I think it does not mean. Number one, I don't think it has anything to do with the hair length of women. And men. I don't think the hair issue is part of it. I, I heard a preacher say one time, I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. <laughs> And you know, I have to admit that I come pretty close to agreeing with that. Uh, my, my background is, for the most part, Baptist. I mean, my doctrine is Baptist, my training is Baptist, and, you know, it, it would be, I, would, I would more closely align myself, if I had to align myself with a denomination, it would be that than any other. But I have to say, some of my independent Bible-believing fundamental Baptist brethren, I think, have misused this particular passage of Scripture to try to teach about the length of hair on men and women. Baptists aren't the only one. That's just the one I have to be familiar with because I've been in that. You see, if Paul was saying here that a woman's hair is the head covering he's describing, how do we explain verse 6 
I'm bothered by verse 6. If a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. If he's talking about hair being the covering, what he would be saying there is, if a woman does not have hair, then cut off her hair. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I can't go there. I may be being ridiculous, I don't know. But sometimes I think the simple answer is the right answer. I don't think that's it. And actually, if you look, if you, if you just honestly look at what he's saying about hair here, he's not instructing about hair. He's illustrating with hair. Do you see that there? If you look at it, when you have a chance, off on your own, you look at this on your own, look at it and see if you don't agree with me in that. What he's saying here is not meant to instruct but to illustrate. Paul does not say women should have long hair here. He doesn't say that. He says women do have long hair. It's an illustration. It's not an instruction. Completely different thing. He doesn't say a man should have short hair. He says men do have short hair. Look at Keith. Sorry, I just happened to look there. I just happened to look. What he's saying here, I think, is, and we may agree or disagree with this, what he's saying is that it's a natural illustration of his point, which we'll see his point in a few minutes, but the natural illustration that is, if you just look around the world, normally, normally, there are, there are of course, uh, exceptions, but normally women will have longer hair than men, and men will have shorter hair than women. There is the odd Sinead O'Connor. There is the odd guy Penrod. There are, there are those who violate that. Uh, it's not a hard and fast rule, but he's saying as a normal illustration, uh, that's what it is. And so I don't think he's talking about hair here when he talks about coverings on men. I think he's just using that as an illustration uh, to make his point. So that's one I'm going to knock off the list. You can keep it on there if you want. I'm going to knock it off. And the second one, I don't think Paul is laying down an apostolic requirement that everybody needs to obey. In other words, I don't think we should take this literally for a few different reasons. It wouldn't surprise us, shouldn't surprise us, if it was. Because there are similar things in the Bible, aren't there? I mean, every once in a while I'll have somebody say to me that they don't don't want to hear about, you know, the things in the Bible that we're supposed to do. They don't want to hear that instruction stuff. Just talk to me about love. Just talk to me about, you know, my relationship with God. None of that stuff. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible about instruction. We're taught about all kinds of different things, so it wouldn't surprise me if Paul was here giving an instruction. I mean, think about some of the things. We're, 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 talked about, we're told about the right and wrong things to say, aren't we? How to use our mouth. We're talk, told about the right and wrong things to, uh, to do, the right and wrong things to, uh, places to go. There's all kinds of instruction. And yes, this is referring basically to dress and attire. We're told about the right and wrong ways to dress. We do have instruction about that in the Bible. The primary verse that jumps out at me is 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9. It says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Key word there is modest. Depending on what translation you're holding, it might not say modest. It might say, uh, one of them I looked at said respectable apparel. One said proper clothing. Uh, the NIV says, quote, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Now, my dear sisters, I love you. Don't shoot me. But the fact is, the Bible is very clear. Is it, is it not? And my job is just to tell you what it says. The Bible says we're supposed to be modest in our dress. The Bible gives clear instruction about that. And I can't point to any specific scripture to prove this next statement I'm going to make, but 40 years of anecdotal evidence in ministry and in churches tells me it is true. This is a female issue. It's not a male issue. 
I've never seen in 40 years a man come to church dressed immodestly. Dressed slovenly, dressed like a bum, looking dirty and rotten. Yes, but immodestly, no. I've never seen that. But I can tell you time after time after time after time where women have done it. It's a female issue. And I, and I, I don't mean to be unkind, that's just what it is. Sisters, you can choose your style of dress based on the lost, hellbound world if you want. Or you can choose it based on Scripture. And Scripture says, modest. I would suggest the latter. And, and we all know what it means, right? We don't have to say, this is modest and that is not. We know what it is. We all know what it is. Low-cut dresses are not modest. We know that. I, I work at a secular college. I can tell you that I am bombarded with immodest dress all day long. We know what it is. And so it has no place in the Christian woman, especially especially in worship services such as really what's being described here. Well, since we have such clear instructions about things like that, it wouldn't be surprising to us if that's what he's doing here, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think, I think there's another completely different meaning, and it's the third one. We've narrowed it down now. We've said what it might mean. we said there was three things. We've said what it doesn't. We've knocked two off the list, so what's left? Here's what I believe it does mean, because we're only left with the one. The head covering that Paul is discussing here was a cultural issue that was relevant to his readers. That is, the church at and the people of Corinth. And I think that the text requires us to have that interpretation. I don't really think we can be honest with the text and come up with anything else. For a couple of reasons. First of all, look at verse number 2. He says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions. Interesting word. Why did he choose that word? Traditions. We get down to the very end of the section, verse number 16. If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. I mean, the very words, the very language that he is using is describing a cultural issue rather than a literal issue. So I think it is required. I think it's required. He's he's describing it that way. And there's another reason to believe that it's a cultural issue, and that is this. What he is doing is describing a, a situation that only existed in that culture. This matter of head coverings on women that he is describing was the cultural uh, dress requirements of the Corinthians, but it wasn't of other people. It was the cultural requirements of the Roman culture. Let me, let me tell you how one scholar described the situation. He said this. He said, Paul is here using Corinthian, Greco-Roman, first century etiquette. And that consisted of this. Number one, married women should be veiled in public or in worship settings. He's describing that in verse 13. Number two, young men in Corinth cut their long hair at the transition to manhood, which was ten years old in their culture. To keep the long hair was a cultural sign of either femininity or homosexuality. He describes that in verse number 14. And number three, he says women with short hair were identified as either either a woman who had been publicly shamed or a prostitute. And that's what he's describing in verse number 15. So that was the culture of the day. These are not spiritual insights. This fellow goes on to say, these are not biblical insights. They don't, they don't even fit Jewish customs of the day. They only fit that particular custom of the day. Go to Israel with us the next time we go. And you'll find out that the Jewish custom is completely different. If you go into any holy site, you're going to find out that there's going to be somebody at the door holding a little box with uh, yarmulkes, little uh, skull caps, little beanie caps for you to put on uh, before you can walk in there. Because the Jewish custom is that the Male is the one whose head is covered. If you don't want to go to Israel, go to a synagogue here in the States and you'll find the same thing. 
I attended a funeral one time in a synagogue for a family member. And uh, I had been to that synagogue before. And then that particular synagogue, same thing. They would have a thing there. If you came in and you were not Jewish, they would still expect you to, to, to revere their custom and put that on. So I, I did. When I went to this funeral that, this particular time, there was somebody in our group who said, bah, I'm not going to do that. And so he walked right on in. And I, to my shame, followed suit. And I walked in there and sat down without that thing on my head. And I'm telling you folks, I could feel the daggers from all over that room. I was a Gentile dog at that particular moment. You don't have to go very far to find out that the custom that he's describing here is completely different than customs that you would see other places. So for all those reasons, I believe this is a cultural issue he's describing. It's cultural. So let's review. Is Paul here mandating that in the context of Christian churches everywhere, women should be veiled or have their heads covered? And the answer is no. Is Paul here giving any kind of instruction related to hair length? Is he saying women should have long hair and men should have short? No. He's using that to illustrate, but that's not what he's saying. Is Paul describing an issue that was culturally relevant to his Corinthian readers, but not necessarily relevant to us in 21st century America? Yes, that's what I think he was doing. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Who in the world cares about 1 Corinthians 11? Let's just pitch it out of our Bible if it doesn't apply to us today. How many of you are thinking that? If it's not culturally relevant to me today, we'll just toss it aside. How many of you are thinking that? Cowards. I know some of you are thinking that. You have to be. Because it follows logically. But it doesn't follow biblically because the Bible tells me that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, doesn't it? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, complete, mature, thoroughly furnished. And that means 1 Corinthians 11 is profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction, instruction, righteousness. There's something here. There's something here the Lord wants us to know. And I think what we need to see here is not the cultural issue that he's using as his illustration. I think what we need to see is the underlying issue that lays beneath it. The actual lesson he's trying to teach, and I think, has nothing to do with head coverings. It goes much deeper than that. As a matter of fact, I think there's two primary issues uh, that, we'll, that we see here. And the first is, is, is the key verse. The, the key verse of this section is verse number three. He said, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. I think the primary thing Paul is talking about in this passage is submission. Submission. Isn't that what that says? I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. head of Christ is God. Now, we can't be dogmatic, but it seems like some in Corinth were throwing off the conventions surrounding how men and women ought to behave. Primarily how they ought to dress. And it's very important to know that Paul does not commend that here. In this passage of scripture, those he has commended are the ones who are keeping the traditions. Those who are not, he mentions all the way down in verse number 16, calls them contentious. He doesn't commend them. So those who keep the traditions, those who are following the culture, commendation. Those who are not, he has disapproval. Women were veiled in that culture, and that veiling was a visual indication of their submission to their husbands. Then Paul here in verse number 3 ties that cultural distinction into a greater theological truth. Because that is the theological truth he's quoting there in verse number 3. 
And as Christians, we believe it, don't we? Don't, don't we believe? I mean, ladies, don't we believe? Wives are to be in submission to their husband. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? We believe that. We do believe that. I mean, that's what Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 says. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Ephesians 5.23 says the husband is head of the wife, is also Christ, is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. We believe it. Now, I know in another place, Paul had written to the Galatians. He had written in Galatians chapter 3 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so we do know this, right? We know that all of us, men or women, come to Christ the same way. We all come to Christ by repenting of our sin. We all come to Christ by believing on the Savior. And men and women have the same exact standing before God once they are saved. But while we live on this earth, while we're in this fallen world, there is an order imposed. An order imposed by culture, an order imposed by tradition, an order imposed by civilization, and yes, an order imposed by God under which we are to live. And that order is wives are to live in submission to and under the headship of their husbands. Now, I don't like preaching this kind of stuff. The fact is, it has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. That's clear from this text. Do you see that there? It's clear from this text. Did you notice this? There's something in verse number three that is an absolutely astonishing statement. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Think about that one. Wrap your brain around that one for a minute. Ladies, if you think that what the Bible is teaching here is that you're somehow inferior to your husband because the Bible teaches that you're to live in voluntary submission to him, how do you get past that? The head of Christ is God. My Bible tells me in the book of Colossians that in him, that is in Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is nothing inferior about Jesus Christ in relationship to God. He is God. It's a matter of voluntary submission. Jesus has voluntarily Submitted himself in that way. And that's the picture. That's the picture. Not a matter of equality, but simply a matter of submission. And I think some in the Corinthian sisterhood were rebelling against that truth. I think they were throwing off the veil, throwing off the head coverings, because it was a symptom of that larger and underlying problem. And so when we recognize that, well, this particular passage, we were just about ready to pitch out a minute ago, suddenly it has relevance, doesn't it? It does speak to us. It does mean something. Nick and Marge are going to be having this family life thing, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's a good thing. There are so many things the Bible has to say about marriage. There's so many things. But this is one of those foundational things. Wives, be in submission to your husbands. But now, men, let me turn my guns on you. Because the fact is, this passage does in no way leave you off the hook. Not in any way. And as a matter of fact, I think the burden laid on you and I in this passage is far worse than the burden laid on the women. Because notice what it says here. You and I are to be in submission to Christ always. So my brothers, how you doing with that one? How you doing with that one? Is he your head? Are you living in submission to him? You see, a lot of men will read this passage and they'll run home and they'll knock the poor wife over the head and say, Look here, the preacher said you're supposed to be in submission to me. Well, that's garbage. And you ought not to do that. 
That's, that's not the point. That is her part. Your part is to be just as much in submission to him. Just as much in submission to Christ. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That verse always gets to me. Because it's the acid test, isn't it? How do we say, we, how do we say he's our head? How do we say we're in submission to him? If he has given us clear instruction about how to live and we don't do it. If he has given us commands and we don't obey. Do you do the things that he says? Matt. If you're in submission to him, you do. If he's your head, you do. You claim he's, do you do it? I think the proof is in the choices we make. I think the proof is in when a choice comes up between pleasing our flesh or pleasing our Savior, which do we do? Between pleasing our pocketbook, padding our pocketbook, or pleasing our Savior, which do we choose? No, this is not just about women. This is about men. It's about the matter of submission in general. Women have the responsibility to submit to their husbands. Men, we have the responsibility to submit to Christ. And Christ is the example in his submission to God. Well, let me move off that. One last thing. I just want to mention one other thing because I think it's important. I think Paul has another major issue underlying all of this. Uh, We said here that he's talking about submission. I think there's another thing he's talking about here. I think he's also talking about freedom. Freedom. Personal freedom. And as a matter of fact, and this is going to sound very familiar to those of you who have been listening to the, sermon on, the sermons on 1 Corinthians, I think he's talking about limiting our personal freedom in Christ for the sake of others. I have a book in my library. I have a book by Dr. Jack Hobbs in my library. I think it's the only book I have of his. It's called Teaching on Preaching. And I have other more, more uh, perhaps robust books in my library on that topic, but I keep that one for one particular reason. Hiles was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. He's with the Lord. Dr. Hiles, uh, that book has a chapter in it on one-point sermons. He believes in one-point sermons. In other words, you know, I've given you three here today, maybe maybe 50. I don't know how many I've given you here today, but uh, I meant to give you three. Uh, he, he would only give one, and he would come at it from this direction, and then from this direction, and then this direction, and then he would just hammer that point over and over from every way he could think of to do. That was his philosophy of preaching. And I keep that book in my library because it's, it's a valid point. Every once in a while I go and I read that. I've only heard Hiles preach twice and I can tell you what he preached both times. 30 years ago I heard it. I can, the second sermon I can tell you just about the whole sermon uh, because it was so memorable. So there's value in that. You know what I think? I think the Apostle Paul here is preaching a one point sermon. I think the whole book of First Corinthians might be a one point sermon. I think he's got one issue that he's hammering over and over. And have not we seen it raise its head every single place we've gone? He has said over and over and over again, yes, you're free in Christ, but you need to limit that freedom in certain ways. We have just finished a long protracted study of the issue of meat offered to idols. Another cultural issue, by the way, that has no relevance to us today, but it has that underlying meaning. Yes, you're free to do these things, but you need to temper that freedom. For the sake of others. You say, where in the world are you getting that from here? Crazy? Well, I'll tell you where I'm getting it. I'm getting it from the verse that you all think I'm going to skip over because you think I'm chicken to look at. But it's verse number 10. Look at it. This is the one I get it from. 
For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, did anybody in here look at that verse and say, what in the world does that mean? I did. I still do, a little bit. But I think I, I, think I figured it out. A woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay, the symbol of authority we've been talking about, this, this head covering thing, which is an is, a visual representation of her submission to her husband. It's a symbol of, her, of that submission, a symbol of the authority of her husband over her life. She ought to have that. Why? Because of the angels. So what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of interpretations. One is, obviously, it could mean angels. It could mean that there are angels in the room. Angels in our church services. And that for some reason, if the women are dressing in a way that's offensive, it's offending the angels. That's one interpretation. It's possible. In my mind, I struggle mightily with the idea that angels are so easily offended. I, I, I don't quite get that. But it is one possible interpretation. Here's the other one, and here's, here's where I'm getting my thinking here. You know the word angel is just a generic word. We apply it to a, this angelic class of beings that we call angels. But the word angel simply means messenger. And it is used in a generic sense other places in the Bible. For example... Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We might talk about this next week in the Sunday school class, but Revelation chapter 2 and 3, every one of the letters to the, to the churches in uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Thyatira, and all, every one of those letters to the seven churches was addressed to the angel of the church at. Now, I suppose it's possible that Jesus Christ was dictating a letter to John and saying, send this to an angel to be read in the church. I suppose it's possible. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. No, I think that word is just the generic use of the word, and I think, and, and you'll find this if you study this out, I think that in that context, it's referring to the pastor of the church, the messenger of the church. Give this letter to him, he'll read it to the church. And so the generic use, that's just an example of a generic use. If this is a, another one of those examples here, uh, for this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. In other words, there's messengers in your midst, and you want to be careful. I read an interesting cultural insight from somebody. can't remember where I read it. But apparently, uh, the upper crust in Corinth, before they would attend a service, they would send a servant on ahead. They would send somebody to come in and check it out. You know, I've heard there's something going on down there at that Friendship Bible Church. Go sit in on a service and see what's happening there and come back and tell me. And if that's the case, does it make sense then that what Paul is saying here is, listen, ladies, if you're throwing off all social, all social norms, if you're throwing off all the cultural norms and being offensive culturally in the way you dress, there are people who are coming in here who are going to see that and people who are going to be offended. I can't be dogmatic on this, and you, you know I'm, I'm probably getting miles off track now, but it makes sense to me that that's what he's saying. It makes sense in the context that it certainly makes more sense to me than that he's saying angels are offended. And it makes sense to me in the context of the whole book because it's that same point that Paul keeps coming back to over and over and over again. Our personal freedom, our right to violate social, cultural norms, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, we have freedom in Christ to do whatever we want, but we temper that. As believers, we temper that. Paul was such an evangelist and such a soul winner. That every issue came down to that, didn't it? Everyone. Will this attract somebody to Christ? Or will it push them away? And so I see two underlying issues, and hopefully both of them 
we see apply to us. One is this had to do with the matter of submission. And one is this had to do with the matter of our freedom, personal freedom, and putting others first. So let me try to sum it up in one or two statements. Because, ladies, you're probably sitting there saying, well, you haven't answered the question yet. Do I need to wear a hat to church or not? <laughs> well, should ladies wear a covering on their head? Well, I think the answer is this. If you are in a culture where that is, that is expected, yes. At your school, do they wear head coverings? So in a, in a culture like that, yes, you ought to wear head coverings. And that's just the female side of it. I mean, males, we're the same way. If the culture dictates it, we follow the culture. You see, Christians are not free to needlessly offend and violate cultural norms. That goes for men and women equally. This passage concentrates on women, but the lesson is not just for women, it's for all of us. Of all people on earth, we ought to be the most submissive. Of all people on earth, the most humble. Of all people on earth, we should be the, the ones that nobody would look at us and say, I'm offended by their behavior. I think that's the lesson.